All right. <clears throat> well, we um, continue uh, through, well, we will continue through our study in this class on guidance. So we're thinking about how to make decisions wisely. And as we talked about last week, our goal is not uh, to be anxious decision makers, right? We, we want to be restful, um, mindful, restful, trusting decision makers. Resting in God's good plans for us and his promises to carry out those plans. And so a big piece of becoming a restful decision maker is understanding and resting in God's sovereignty over circumstances, over our decisions, and also thinking through how our responsibility fits into that. So that's what we'll be looking at today. And before we start, I want to open up with a question just for us to think about a little bit. Uh, if God were not sovereign, how would that change the way Christians make decisions? That's something we'll, we'll think about a little bit. If God were not sovereign, how does that change the way we make decisions? Now, we should have a category of the sovereignty of God in our minds, but just th think about that. If he, were, if he were not sovereign, how does that change the way you live life daily, whether you go right or left or up or down? Or... So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Now, we, we can't even begin to make a decision in a biblical way without understanding how it fits into God's sovereignty. So we'll start off by thinking through what that means, that God is sovereign, and then we'll consider the goal that he is using um, all his sovereign power to accomplish. What's, what's the end goal? And then we'll think through how that fits in with our responsibility. And then finally, we'll finish with some practical implications of all this for our own wise decision making, okay? So first, uh, God is sovereign. Now what I mean by that is uh, the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and God's control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. So God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of his will, all right? So let's step through um, through this. So first, God is sovereign over our circumstances. So one of the most well-known verses in all scripture uh, has to do with God's sovereignty over circumstances and even decisions. And it's Genesis 50, 20, which says, as for you, you meant this evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And you guys are probably familiar with this. It's regarding uh, Joseph, you know, he's sold into slavery and um, he ends up being sort of the, the high chief of Potiphar's house. And then um, there's a famine in Israel and the people are brought into Egypt. Um, and Joseph has this sort of occasion where he, um, through a series of um, circumstances, Someone sort of tricks his brothers, and then they see, oh, it's, it's actually Joseph. Um, but, he, but this verse is pointing out that as they did sell him into slavery, and all the things that he went through in between being sold into slavery and this you know, occasion, uh, he says that you did mean this for evil. So there was, there was evil intent in you doing this. And at the same time, he says, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, that many people should be saved. He didn't mean that you meant this for evil. And then God said, okay, how do I work this for my good? He meant that there's, there's actually two things happening in this event. Um, one is your evil intent and uh, supremely the sovereignty of God even through that. So we see this in Genesis 15, 20. <clears throat> so again, Joseph being sold into slavery to his brothers, uh, seeing that God has control over that as well. Um, <clears throat> Secondly, we see uh, God is sovereign over our past and our future. Isaiah 46.10. Can I have someone read this for us? I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Okay. So, no random string of events, right? Everything that happens in our lives has or happens within God's sovereignty. And everything that hasn't happened is within God's sovereignty. So God doesn't just know the, the actual, but <laughs> the 
non-actual in every sequence of events that could have come about uh, that did not happen, right? So the end from the beginning, the absolute sovereignty of God. Third, God is sovereign over our decisions. Psalm 33, 10 to 11. Can someone read that for us? So we'll, we'll have a, a few verses if you don't mind, and we'll just work through them. <laughs> Say what? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so the Lord <clears throat> is sovereign over nations, uh, decisions, plans, no matter what we decide, the outcome is entirely in his hand. <clears throat> Fourth, and finally, God is sovereign even over our hearts. Proverbs 21.1. Someone can read that. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Turns it wherever he goes. Okay, so there's an implicit argument in this verse, from the greater to the lesser. If God's sovereign over the hearts of kings, how much more he's sovereign over our hearts. He's, he's making a point there that from uh, the lowest to the highest, God is sovereign over men's hearts. Now, we don't live in a haphazard universe that came into being by chance or progresses by chance. We live in an ordered universe that was created by God and is actively governed by God. Now, at first, that might seem terrifying, um, and it you tend to and you ought to feel um, uh, that you're not sovereign and that you're not all-powerful. We ought to have some sense of our own uh, powerlessness, um, our own need for something outside of ourselves. But until we remember God's good purposes, uh, we, you, you, you can, someone can feel like, well, God is sovereign. Um, I'm just a creature, which I am. And, and he's just sort of this uh, big kid who's a tyrant. And he's just looking for an opportunity to burn the ants with a magnifying glass under the sun. Right. That, but that, that's not how we should view God, because the Bible affirms not only is God sovereign, but God is good. Right. So he's working out his good purposes. He uses all of his power for good and never uh, the, the, the opposite. His ultimate purpose is never anything less than absolute good, which leaves us not terrified, but with comfort, peace, and rest. And that rest has a direct impact on how we make decisions. But what exactly is the good he's using um, his sovereignty to accomplish? And that's our point. Our second point here, God's goal of glorifying himself. To put it simply, God's overarching goal behind all he does is to show forth his glory, to glorify himself. Like a master painter whose canvas is the whole universe, God is sovereignly governing every single event down to the most minute detail to bring himself glory. He made people to show off his glory. If you think about Isaiah 43, 7. I have that. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Um, everyone who is created, is created for the glory of God. And with our sovereign God behind it, it is to uh, show that history is going to end up displaying his glory. Think about the words of the prophet Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you see all this throughout scripture. Why did God rescue his people from the mighty nation of Egypt? God tells Pharaoh, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. It's for the glory of my name. Um, why rescue his people from the land of Babylon after exile? Someone read Ezekiel 30, 36, 22 for us. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have proclaimed among the nations to which you came. Okay, thank you. So this shows us that um, 
the sinful actions of people, even God's chosen people, aren't sovereign over the God who is over sin, sovereign over sin, right? So he's not secondary to their even sinful actions, but actually accomplishes his purposes through them. Uh, why did God send Jesus to the earth? John 1, 14. Can read that for us? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. <laughs> Thank you. And why did Jesus go to the cross to save us from our sins? Ephesians 1, 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. From the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, outside of created time and space, God is sovereign and good and will accomplish his purposes, which is to glorify himself. Okay. Now, thinking even through that last verse, Ephesians 1.11, for a moment here, we were predestined for God. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why? Again, to the praise of his glory. Not some things, not um, good decisions that are well thought out and um, have in mind scripture and want to inform those decisions with scripture, but even bad decisions that are negligent of uh, the word of God and wisdom. Um, all these things, he still works <clears throat> sovereignly for his glory and the good of those who hope in him. <clears throat> Why is Jesus coming back? Second Thessalonians 1.10, to be glorified in all the saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. Now, <clears throat> what's God about Himself, I know, sort of, somewhat, explain this, but what what undergirds all that God does, the praise of Himself. Now, that I know when you when you hear it initially, and I've had conversations with people um, where I, we you say, well, God is after His own glory. He's His His highest aim is to glorify Himself, and they say, well, that's self centered of Him. Right? It's, it's, a, it's offensive, and <clears throat> that's true, except when it's applied to God. <laughs> of, of us, yes, that, that's true. It is self-centered. If, if I go home and I say, the purpose of me being the head of my home is to glorify myself. <laughs> you know, my wife should be like, <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> she should question me. You know, in, in every other context, it's, it, it's wrong for us to make ourselves the, the chief end, but not so with God. <clears throat> and, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. So we're sitting here trying to figure out how to make decisions in the context of a God who works all things to the praise of himself. And we, you know, are we really okay with that? Is, is, is that something that we should be comfortable with? And we'll talk about that. Is, is, he, is he vain and insecure? So I'm going to quote... Um, a, a little bit by Oprah Winfrey on a, so, oh, you're going to quote Oprah Winfrey in a Sunday school? Yes. <laughs> so here's how Oprah Winfrey describes her walk away from traditional Christianity. She was describing being in a Christian church where the preacher was talking about the attributes of God, specifically his omnipotence and his omnipresence. Man, you should have stayed there. <laughs> I mean, you don't hear that often from the pulpit. But um, she says this. Then he said, this preacher, the Lord thy God is a jealous God. I was caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said, jealous. And something struck me. I was 27 or 28, and I was thinking God is all, he's omnipresent. God is also jealous. A jealous God is jealous of me, she says. And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love. 
and that God is in all things. All right, so you can hear where she went off track there, right? <clears throat> Why would we want to serve a God, sort of her thinking, um, who is all about himself? And the answer to that question is because what better thing could God be about than himself? If God is about something higher than himself, then he's not God. He is, he is not the uh, highest and supreme thing of which we could conceive or think of. Um, if God is about anything um, less than himself, then, he's, then he, uh, perish the thought, is an idol worshiper. Right? He has to be about that which is most supreme and most good in order for him to be God. And that's actually the best thing for us. C.S. Lewis put it in this way. So we go from Oprah Winfrey to C.S. Lewis. You get the whole gamut of theologians. <laughs> he says, my whole, my general <clears throat> difficulty about the praise of God dependent on my, depended on my absurdly denying to us as regard to the supremely valuable what we delight to do. What indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. <clears throat> In other words, the worship of he who is the highest and greatest being is the best thing for the creature um, and is, he's not only directing us to something, but he is the object of our worship. <clears throat> John Piper, reflecting on Jesus' high priestly ministry or high priestly prayer in John 17, said this. And he's trying to, John Piper, he's trying to summarize what he saw Jesus saying in his prayer. He says, um, sort of quoting Jesus in his summary, if you find your ultimate joy in your most cherished earthly treasure, you will be disappointed in the end, and it will be dishonored. Because I am offering myself to you as the all-satisfying beauty and greatness and wisdom and strength and love of the universe. I am what you were made for. And I am telling you that if you see this, if you see me as your supreme treasure, then you don't have to choose between your satisfaction and your glorification. Because in the very act of your being most satisfied in me, I will be most glorified in you. Uh, very um, Augustinian. John Piper's uh, We Are Most, what is it called? He, uh, we Are Most Satisfied, God is Most Glorified in Us when We're Most Satisfied in Him. Is that how it goes? I get that right? <clears throat> he, he gets that from Augustine. That there, as we take our highest uh, delight in God, who is most supreme, then we don't have to worry about um, necessarily uh, overdosing on uh, a drug if the drug is God. We, we, we don't have to worry about offending or there being a tension between what we desire and being satisfied and glorifying God if our greatest satisfaction is God, right? <clears throat> God is working everything out for the praise of his glory. And what is exactly the end of that? It's, it's, it's himself. He is the most excellent, the most glorious, the most beautiful being in or beyond the universe. His greatest delight and ours is for him to welcome us into the wonder of who he is. There is no cost so high that it is not worth exchanging for the wonder of the knowledge of God. So in every decision we make, we need to understand that it is being made inside a universe that is absolutely under the control of a sovereign God. That his sovereign power is at work to accomplish one great aim, to showcase the excellence of his glory, and that he will accomplish that aim. Okay? So, how does God's great aim of showing off his glory, what, what, what's the relationship between that and our decision-making? All that that we just talked about, sovereignty of God, absolute sovereignty of God over everything. How does that inform and infect or affect our decision making? Uh, point three on your note sheet, man's responsibility. 
Okay, now, <clears throat> you may be thinking, I mean, I, I hope you're thinking, well, that seems biblical and right, <laughs> what you just shared. Um, but how exactly do these truths align with this class on decision-making? <clears throat> if God's going to do what God's going to do, and more than that, if he's going to do, um, if, if what he's going to do is the most perfect thing imaginable, the praise of his glory, then why stress out about making decisions at all? Right? God's sovereign. He's going to accomplish his purposes. Both um, our good decisions and bad decisions are going to accomplish the end purpose of God glorifying himself. If that's the case, why don't we just say, I also get the Latin term. Is it Latin term? Is it quesos? Is it a, what is it? Um, sort of like uh, the, the Latin version of just uh, eat, drink, uh, be merry. Yes, carpe diem. Is it, that's Latin, right? Carpe diem. Which means what? Seize the day. Seize the day. <clears throat> I think that's what I was thinking about. But if, if God is sovereign over everything, then why, why stress over making decisions? Well, because the Bible makes it clear that we're responsible for our actions. And just to give one example of many, Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 37 to 38, I'll go ahead and read it. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Um, he's, not, he's not explaining verbal justification. Um, he's bringing out that there's a, we have a responsibility, what we say, what, what we do. <clears throat> we are responsibility, responsible for what decisions we make, even the decisions are of words without thinking about what we're saying. Even careless words um, men are held accountable to. And our responsibility is to aim our lives at the one aim that God has. 1 Corinthians 10.31, anybody know that? <clears throat> we had it on softball shirts a few years ago. 1 Corinthians 10.31, who knows it? Pastor, I know you know it. <laughs> Eat or drink and do all to the glory of God. <clears throat> the Bible never fully explains how our responsibility coexists with God's sovereignty. It makes sense that some aspect of life within an infinite God we just don't fully comprehend. But if the Bible makes the case for both of these very forcefully that God is sovereign and we are and there's, there's human responsibility. We are responsible for the decisions we make, and the goal of both our work and his is to show off his glory. Then we should, we should have a category in our idea of the sovereignty of God that doesn't mean that men are not, not responsible for their decisions. We're called, um, Paul actually um, prays or tells Christians to pray and prays for them, that they would make wise decisions, that they would be discerning and wise. And so we can't divorce the two. They're not mutually exclusive. <clears throat> okay. So a summary of what we've sort of tried to explain up until this point. God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign, um, yet men are responsible to make wise decisions. The, the Christian is responsible to make wise decisions. Um, scripture and Christian principle informing the decisions he makes as he strives to make decisions restfully and not anxiously. Okay. Now we want to, for the rest of the class, think about uh, a little, a few more implications of this, and we'll, we'll walk through a few, a few points here. Uh, so, first, we want our decisions to be motivated by faithfulness. Motivated by faithfulness. Yeah. Um, you know, because we know of God's plan and He's sovereign, uh, and we understand we're not by the unbeliever. Sure. We're not by the believer. You know, it's our responsibility, you know, to 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 submit to that plan and to work in His kingdom. It's no different that the idea of the believer is the idea of the feudal system. You know, we have a master. In, in those days, you know, if you had a master right. or his servant, 
<coughs> you were supposed to take the commands from the master and do what the master said, you know. And as believers, we are, you know, we have our Lord, he's our master, and we are to work even though we know he's a sovereign and, you know, to work in his kingdom. So knowing that he's sovereign, you know, makes us, yeah. 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 That's good. Yep. <clears throat> and you see that in scripture, scripture too. Um, but let, let's think about this for a bit. Um, how we have, how do we make decisions that are motivated by faithfulness? So our motivation in decision making is to be responsible. Uh, or quite rather, is it to be responsible? Is it to be faithful as stewards of what God has given us? To a brother's point here. Uh, this point is, is, is really important. And uh, it's, it can, it's so counterintuitive, and we'll spend the rest of the, the, or another class actually thinking about that in a little more detail, but here we'll just sort of do a, an overview. Uh, but a few, a few words on this. The world around us make decisions with the goal of securing specific results. So it's sort of a result-oriented decision-making. You get uh, a car so that you can get to the grocery store. <clears throat> you exercise so that you can be healthy. Um, you marry Jane so that you have a happy marriage. That's, that's how sort of the world, that's the end and all of their decision-making. <clears throat> but that's not how Christians should, should make decisions, not simply in that way. <clears throat> God, God does not need, uh, he, he, he doesn't require a car to get us to the grocery store to feed us, right? He's not contingent upon that. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to make us exercise in order to be healthy. Um, and his uh, wisdom and through natural law, these things are in place, but he doesn't, he's not, he, he doesn't require them. Uh, he doesn't need us to, to, to be married, to be happy. Uh, does he need any of this in order to accomplish his plan for his glory? Well, no, he doesn't need it. He's not contingent upon it. He's not contingent upon these things to glorify himself. Psalm 50, verse 12. Let me have someone read that for us. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world and its fullness are mine. Okay. If God needs something done, he can, he can do it himself is the point. Uh, did he ask for anyone's help to create the world? No. Uh, to destroy the Egyptian armies? No. To raise Christ from the dead? No. To make Saul a persecutor of the church and to Paul the apostle? No. And now I, I recognize that God's normal way, again, to feed us is to we go to the grocery store or we have Instacart bring it. <laughs> right. His normal means of keeping us healthy is exercise. If we say, well, I want to become uh, strong or I want to be more athletic, um, we don't say that and then go go sit on the couch. We sign up for a gym membership. Right. Or we, you know, start running around the block or something. Right? That, that's his normal means of those things. But as a Christian, in our decision-making, we should have another category. <clears throat> and, that, and that category is that the result of the, of the decision is not the chief end of why we make the decision. Um, there, there's something else happening there. I'd even go so far as to su suggest that if you find yourself constantly frustrated and unhappy with the circumstances of your life, it's probably in part because you've forgotten that your value and identity isn't in the, what, what that decision accomplishes for you. It's in how faithful you are in that decision making. Uh, it's how you uh, show that you're entrusting yourself to God in that decision making. In other words, your work is valuable, but mainly because of how it shows off his work in you. Entrusting yourself to God in the decisions you make is more important than the results of those decisions. That's not to say we don't want to have good, good results. <laughs> I didn't, 
uh, marry my wife because I thought, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't, I don't really care about being happy. No, of course I want to be happy. She's not here, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't make decisions because we don't care about the result. We don't buy this car over that because we don't care. But, the, but what's more important than that end result is, as I think through this decision, and we can do this. We, can, we should be checking our hearts as we work through decisions. Am I making this decision and trusting myself and my circumstances to God? And that can be hard to do sometimes, to discern whether the decision you're making is, is this just me? Like, am I being, is this a false piousness that I'm thinking this way? Is it sin? Sometimes digging down underneath there is hard to discern if, if the decision you're making is the best decision. But we, we want to strive to this end and have scripture in mind and counsel of others, which we'll talk about, that helps us to make those decisions. A person, a person mo- motivated by results will live in constant frustration because if value is found through what they're able to produce, achieve, or get done, or not achieve or get done, then their joy will be easily taken from them or they'll give it away to that result. But a person motivated instead by faithfulness will understand that regardless of the situation they find themselves in, whether they're at the bottom of the corporate ladder or at the top, whether they're single or married or widowed, whether they're empty nesters or just starting a family, a person motivated by faithfulness doesn't find their joy in their circumstances. Instead, they use their circumstances as a means to display their joy in Christ. This is, again, this is counter-cultural. It's otherworldly to to think in this way, to to, to tell someone, well, I really, really, I'm, I'm more concerned about if I'm trusting God when I make this decision, not just you know, whether you get the promotion or not, yeah, that's, that's important, and I, I would love to, not just whether you get the, you know, Toyota or not, or over the Honda, whatever. Yeah, I, I do like that car, but I want, to, I want to know that I'm trusting God in this, this decision-making. And I should add this category. I know that there could be, even in that, a morbid sort of introspection where we sort of... Um, we think more of it than we ought to, and it causes us to not believe and entrust ourselves to God, but we, we, we keep searching for the sin and, and how we're making it, and that becomes the end, finding the sin, finding the sin, finding the sin. So there can be um, a, a fault in this. Sometimes our personalities are more prone that way, where we, we, just, we, we need to find the sin, and we're never really, we never actually make a decision because we're so concerned on whether we're making the right decision, and it paralyzes us. I know that can be another you know, category, but um, I, I hope this helps that, that type of thinking as well. To um, entrust ourselves to God in our decision-making is entrusting, is wanting the word to inform how we're thinking through it, but also, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, entrusting the results to him as well, right? Sort of, we can be, we, we want control over it, right? We need to sort of take our hands off and entrust those things to, to the Lord. Um, okay, the next point uh, on your sheet, motivated by meaning. Motivated by meaning. The second way these, result, these truths should affect how we live today is that we should be motivated by the meaning that God gives to everything. Everything in our created order has great meaning and value and purpose because it's been ordained. It's been appointed by a sovereign creator who never does anything in vain. Now, if you open to the book of Ecclesiastes and you start to read through it, those beginning chapters, you'll think, well, uh, he doesn't seem to have a perspective that says everything has meaning. He seems to be saying, you know, it's, it's all vain, vain. Um, but if you keep moving through Ecclesiastes towards the middle to the end, you start to see that he's talking about just two different perspectives, life from under the sun and then life from above the sun, in a sense. Our perspective looking up, um, apart from uh, God, Christ, and then a perspective looking down with the idea of the sovereignty of God in mind. 
right? So everything actually does have, have meaning. We should be people who understand and embrace that everything uh, from saving or from, from um, stumping your uh, toe on a couch to uh, bursting a tire on the way into work to the death of a loved one is all under the sovereignty of God. And it does have meaning. <clears throat> God's sovereignty gives meaning to our decisions in two ways. Meaning for what we do. God allows nothing to happen that does not contribute to his grand narrative or meaning. That is, the story this universe is telling about the excellence and glory of God, um, everything that happens uh, is ultimately accomplishing the end of our sovereign God. Second, meaning for how we do what we do. Life is full of disappointments. As Moses wrote, most likely at the end of his life, in Psalm 90, verse 10, the years of our life are 70, um, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Now, if we get to the end of our life and all you see around you is failure and wreckage, has it been wasted? Moses probably thought at the end of his long life uh, with the people grumbling and wondering in the wilderness, I've raised my kids and they've made a mess of their lives. I poured myself into uh, this company. Uh, it went under. I lived for my marriage and now my spouse is dead. Um, and you wonder, have I, have I wasted my life if all of these things have accomplished this specific end? Is all of this a waste of time? In a universe governed by a sovereign God, the answer, of course, is no. God is accomplishing his purposes, not simply by the results of what we do, but by what your works say about him. <clears throat> Were you faithful in raising your kids? Were you faithful at your job? Did your marriage show showcase the beauty of the gospel? Then your life has been a billboard, really, to advertise a good and sovereign and faithful God. No matter what you put your hands to do, um, you can still, and we ought to still be thinking and aiming at the glory of God in those things. Whether we you know, sweep the floor of a restaurant or we're at the top of a Fortune 500 company, uh, we should be aiming to um, glorify God in, in whatever we do, okay? So any thoughts on that before I go to the next section? Thoughts or questions? Okay. <clears throat> now let's think about uh, this in a couple more ways. We want to uh, remember that God gives meaning to even what may, see, what may appear to be mundane things. <clears throat> According to scripture... The truth that God is sovereign over the smallest of details of life is inescapable. And frankly, I wouldn't want to escape from God's sovereignty. Um, think about Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Have someone read that for us. Find not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. <clears throat> so don't be afraid. You're worth much. You are worth more than many spirits. Yeah. Now let's try and make this more real for a sec. You came to church this morning. We live in Orlando. Maybe somebody cut you off on the way here. God is sovereign over that. You were walking into the building, right, or to work this week, and you tripped over a, a stump or something, right, and you, you hurt your leg. God is sovereign over that. Your washer and or dryer broke this past week. I went to a seventh, uh, the seventh birthday party for my cousin, and her mom just got her whole house renovated. And two hours before the party started, the plumbing went out, and she's calling people saying, "Use the bathroom before you come to the party." Like, all right, kids, we get out of the van, go back in. And I get there, and she's like, two hours before the party, <laughs> we went through eight weeks of renovations, and now the plumbing goes out. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, I didn't say this. I should have. 
the Lord is sovereign. <laughs> that wouldn't have made her feel better at the time. But <laughs> we know that God is sovereign over, over everything. Nothing is too small to have purpose. Nothing is too big to have purpose. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. Even the mundane is working for his purposes. Something else to consider. God gives meaning to all of our relationships. Let me have some read Acts 17 here, verses 26 to 27. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Thank you. Now this verse should really, it seems simple, but it should really cause us to be awestruck. <clears throat> and you think about this, just the, the people in this Sunday school class right now, right? all of us are sitting here, um, our, our, our backgrounds, where we grew up, um, how we grew up, decisions we've made, decisions others have made for us, um, yet we all end up here today in this Sunday school class at this church this year talking about these things but it's a very it's the the different factors that went into play and account for us to end up here together it's 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 immense it's like beyond what we can even comprehend all the different things that even brought us into this room this day of this year at this time <clears throat> it's it's really it, it displays God's sovereignty <clears throat> so what does this have to do with our relationships? Well, the neighbors you have, uh, the people that you work with, um, the friends you have, even the family you have. You were uh, birthed into a family. You didn't choose your brothers or your sisters or your parents. Um, you were birthed into that family. All those relationships that you have are there for a reason. Right? They're, they're not pointless. They're not endless. God didn't just say, well, you know, here, you know, work it out. But he put you where he put you under his sovereign wisdom for a purpose. Right. Uh, we are th there is a there's a purpose for why you are where you are. Um, God does have a, <laughs> a plan for your life. Yeah, I, I was going to say a wonderful plan, but I Joel seen is so. It's, it's, <laughs> but he does have a plan for your life. Um, and everywhere that, that every person you come in contact with in the grocery store, at Aldi or Starbucks or at Goodyear, or wh wherever you are, he's put you there for a reason. And the reason is to glorify him. So you, can, you can put sort of the mystery to bed. It's, it's to glorify him. Now, what that looks like in each unique circumstance, um, yes, we, we pray for wisdom for. But wherever you are, you're there for a reason. And you should give thought to how that affects the conversations you have. Um, these, these things come up. Again, I think about my, my cousin yesterday. These things uh, come up where it, it's an opportunity to either point people to the reality of God, uh, cause them to question the reality, which points them to the reality. Um, these different opportunities we have in our workspace. Um, again, all, all these occasions that we have to glorify God. Um, you know, you, you, a guy, you come out of Publix and a guy comes up to you and he asks for directions. You know, that, that's not by accident. Right? The, the Lord has allowed that. Um, and that, that has implications. I mean, you think about the next time you get into an Uber or a Lyft, the conversation you might be able to have with that person, knowing that God has sovereignly allowed that to happen. Okay, so I feel like I'm dragging that on, but you see the point. Third, God gives meaning to our work. <clears throat> it's in the realm of work that the image of God in man reflects most clearly God as creator. In Genesis 1, God creates the universe and then proceeds to take the land that was formless and void and he shapes it into a land that was habitable for man to live in. And then he created man to inhabit the land and work the land. Work is basic to our function as humans. Greg Gilbert in The Gospel at Work said this, In one way or another, 
Your job somehow involves the work of bringing beauty out of ugliness, order out of chaos. Perhaps unassembled pieces are pulled together to make a widget used to create a product that people use. Or natural products are identified, isolated, and harvested to create something new. Sickness is treated and justice is rectified. Broken windows are repaired. Cracked sidewalks are fixed. <clears throat> Not only do we find meaning in the reflection of God's image in the creative aspect of our work, but we also find meaning in the way God uses our jobs to sharpen us and make us look more like Christ. Think about, you think of God's sovereignty and bringing Jacob to work for Laban, who took advantage of him for 14 years, yet it wasn't without purpose. Not only was God sovereignly orchestrating that lineage that Jesus would come from, but he also sharpened Jacob in the process. Um, as you remember, um, Paul, uh, or as he, he reminds the Ephesians, whether our work is difficult or enjoyable, it is all to be done to the glory of God. God's our ultimate boss. Work, in a sense, is um, you have a boss, a supervisor that says, hey, are you doing this? How's it going? Um, let's just, for the sake of this scenario, say the boss is a, a terrible boss. They, they, they're frustrating to you. They come in, they say, how are you doing? You haven't done this. Why don't you do this? They're always sort of uh, over your shoulder. Your work as unto the glory of God almost means you're, you're looking, you're working through them. You're looking past them to serve them best. There's something behind them, which is the glory of God that causes you to serve them well, even if they are a difficult boss. Uh, if they're a great boss, the same thing. You're almost looking past that person to serve them well. Um, and they actually benefit when your vision is Christ rather than them. If it's just them, when they it, it irritate you or agitate you, then you sort of you step back and you say, you know what, I don't have to do this. But when it's something beyond them, they benefit from that service because you're ultimately saying, Lord, I want to work as unto you. And so you work as unto the Lord. OK. <clears throat> All right. So so praise God that we serve a sovereign God as the author of Ecclesiastes cries out. At the end of the book, meaningful, meaningful. All is meaningful because all is ordered by an eternal, sovereign, and purposeful God. Okay, so in, in conclusion here, restful decision-making. One final implication of God's sovereignty and decision-making <clears throat> is this. We can be at peace with the decisions that we make. And Jesus is very clear in his Sermon on the Mount do not be anxious about your life, Matthew 6, 25. But decisions can be some of the most um, anxiety-provoking aspects of life, or they can be occasions to show our trust in the Lord and entrust ourselves to him. Isaiah 49, 9-10 says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Do you think that your decision can thwart the sovereignty of God's good purposes? Do you really think that you have power to mess up your life um, that God has ordained for his, his good or in a way that it won't accomplish his purposes? Well, no. Psalm 84.11 says that God will not or will, he, he will not withhold good from those who walk uprightly. He doesn't withhold good from those who walk uprightly. God will not withhold good from you as you strive to um, honor him and to uh, serve him with your decision making, to um, entrust yourself to him in your, in your decision making. We may struggle to see uh, the things in our lives as good, but I'm confident that if we could see things from God's perspective, we wouldn't change not one thing that happens in our lives. Because God is good and sovereign. We care about the decisions we make, not because we think that a bad decision will somehow remove us from God's will or thwart his purposes, but because we want to be responsible, faithful, wise decision makers. We want to be responsible because that's what it looks like to be a faithful steward. And faithfulness brings glory to God. 
So when you have a hard decision to make, um, do your best to make it well in a way that pleases the Lord, which looks like taking advantage of wise counsel, which looks like um, going to the word to inform your decision making, its commands and principles, which looks like being rested as you make decisions rather than um, anxious and agitated. Uh, But there can be a joy in decision making, even when we don't know exactly what the outcome is, because that happens a lot too. But we can glorify God in our, our decision making. So we can sit back and relax in an unwavering, unstoppable, uncompromising Uh, power and sovereignty of God who works all things to the counsel of his will. And that helps us to be restful decision makers. Okay? So any uh, closing thoughts before I pray? Kyle? Yeah, Pastor Ned, I really enjoyed um, point four, just going back with the uh, results of faithfulness. Yeah. I thought that was... um, that is just really, really applicable because it's so easy to just see the connections that God makes between you work hard, this happens. Yeah. Right? You plan and then this gets accomplished. Right? Yeah. You just get in that mindset versus, you know, Lord, everything I do, I just want to be faithful to you. Yeah. You know, and all those are subservient. Yeah. So, yeah, I just really appreciate that. I think that's, you know, yeah. a struggle that I face. And so, yep, yeah, me too. Really good. Me too. Yep. Me too. Any other thoughts? All right. Let me pray for us, and then you all will be dismissed into the service. Lord, we give you thanks um, for your mercies. We we thank you that you have given us uh, the wisdom of your word. You have given to uh, believers, your children, the Holy Spirit. You have given us the church, um, all these things that are means of help and grace for us, even as we make decisions in life. Um, you've, you've given us minds, uh, help us to do well to inform those our minds with scripture and wisdom from the word so that we could be um, restful and not anxious in our, our decision making. Lord, help us to make decisions in a way that is entrusting ourselves and our circumstances to you. Um, give us um, wisdom, give us Uh, sharpened affections for the things of God so that it naturally seeps into our work, whether we're out raking the yard or whether we're making a major decision for what job we'll we'll take. Um, All these things are under your sovereign wisdom, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, and let us make our chief end um, as it should be your glory in all things. In Christ's name, amen.